You know, I have had a great time in New York, but there are specific moments throughout the week that I cannot wait to have back on the West Coast. And this is one of them. I miss movie nights mm-hmm. and I miss recording at a normal hour, not <laughs> eleven fifteen at night on a Monday. Anyways. Welcome to episode 413 of the Design Details Podcast. Coming to you from New York City one last time, I'm Brian Lovett. <laughs> and I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, I'll be happy to have you back in town, man. It's going to be good. What's the first movie we're going to watch? Oh, good question. Good question. There's some new stuff out. We'll find okay. something. Tweets. Tweet. Twitterers, uh, let us know what our first movie night should be. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll take answers from the crowd. All right. We got a good episode lined up. Before we get into it, huge shout out to Plume. Plume empowers a billion smart devices at home and in small businesses with their suite of adaptive Wi-Fi, AI security, and parental controls. And they're hiring product designers to build the future of smart home services. If you want to build the future of smart home services, go to designdetails.fm slash Plume. Again, they're hiring product designers. So thank you, Plume, for supporting the show. Thanks, Plume. Good luck growing that team. We yeah. also have some new very important pixels joining our team, our little fam, over here in Design Details land. That's a great segue. Huge shout-outs to Bilal, AJ Pachkowski, Ben C., first name, pause, last name. Well done to you. Tip of the hat. <laughs> I feel like the pause was not supposed to be spoken, though. It was written. <laughs> if your Patreon username has letters in the name, we will read it. So this person is first name, pause, last name. Anyways, continuing on. <laughs> Shout outs to Sam Hermes. Hermes? We'll, we'll give him the, the fancy treatment. Hermes. Hermes. Double tour. Is <laughs> there that you go. You yeah, yeah, double tour. Sid Kshetrapal, Nichiket Nanoti, and Hoyen. Welcome, welcome to the fam. Yeah. It's good to have you here. Welcome, everybody. Be sure to catch your first sidebar. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means every week listeners like you support the show to make it possible for us to record this gosh darn thing at 11.30 on a Monday. If you've been enjoying the show, even if this is your first time listening and you want to keep making it possible for us to record every week, that happens at Patreon at patreon.com slash design details. If you sign up for just a buck a month, just a buck a month, you get access to our bonus supporter only segment of the show called the sidebar sidebar sidebar. The sidebar is an extra episode bonus content every week. It's like an extra little episode talking about all things design. Last week we recapped Apple's September event and this week we're talking about obsessive personalities in design and finding the right balance of paying attention to the details, but also working on the things that are important. So if you want to hear us talk about that, get access to our backlog of sidebars and have access to double content going forward, go to patreon.com slash design details. It's just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Thank you to everyone who joined the fam this week. Thanks, everybody. All right, let's continue. Marshall, tiny bit of follow-up. Last week, we were talking about side projects, when to ship, when to talk about it, and we heard from Manny on Twitter who says, curious, how much time do you guys usually spend on side projects a day or per week? Whenever I work on side projects, I always feel guilty of not spending time with my other half, friends, and pets because we haven't seen each other for a whole day. 
Marshall, how much time are you putting in? It's it's nights and weekends, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. my partner falls asleep usually around 10, 10.30. And after she falls asleep, I will come downstairs and work on stuff. Sometimes it's work work. Sometimes it's personal side project stuff. Uh, and then weekends, she goes and visits her parents down in Cupertino every Saturday. So I usually get Saturday during the day to work on stuff. Okay. How many hours would you say that ends up netting you per week on like an average week? Probably like 20 hours, maybe. Whoa, that's way higher than I thought what you were about to say. Okay. Oh, no. I mean, like, well, I'll work till two. So it's like I'll put uh, in yeah. a few hours every night and then eight hours during the day and then, you know, another few hours on Sunday, depending on what time is available. But that's that's how I do it. Basically, while she's sleeping or not at home is is when I get work done. <laughs> but I'm I'm lucky in that yeah. there are like I have kind of known quantities of when and why that will happen throughout the week. It's almost like a schedule. But not everybody yeah. has that. Oh yeah, for sure. We should definitely color all of this by saying that neither you or I have kids, and so I feel like that would be the yes. very prohibiting factor here. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The thing is, I I just go on waves like. I think in December and January, I was putting in maybe something close to what you're putting in, like 20 hours a week. That was for staff design and tinkering on my personal website and writing. And then I go through multi-month lulls where it's zero hours a week. And I think I spent most of my summer at zero hours. I guess unless you count this podcast, in which case, I don't know, two, three, four. But on like other things... Yeah, I just go through crazy long spurts. And I wish I could sort of smooth that out. Anyways, I think right now I'm ramped back up and having fun on my personal website. And I try and sneak in, oh, 30 minutes in the morning if there's something small I can knock out, maybe 30 minutes at night. And then on the weekends, my partner also has her own side project. So sometimes we will just double team that and that gives us, I don't know, like a Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon, another five, six hours. So I don't know what that adds up to, maybe 10 hours a week or something like that. Mm -hmm. I think the most important thing here and the thing I had to learn for myself is to, no matter what you're doing, forgive yourself for not doing the other things Mm. you're not doing, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Just do everything that you're doing at the moment fully and that leads to happiness that I've found. It's so true. Yeah. I uh, I used to have quite a lot of self-imposed pressure. Like if I'm not working on side projects, what am I even doing with my free time? I feel like I've gotten pretty good about reversing that. And and the problem is I've almost reversed it too much to the point where yeah, I can go on multiple weeks or multiple months without having touched a project and I feel pretty content. <laughs> so there's a balance, right? It's got to be fun. Like, it's got to yeah. be fun. And if you're, like, putting all this pressure on it, then you start to dread it or you just feel guilty one way or the other. And that's not a fun way to live. I, I will say, though, I still want to maintain the spirit of don't beat yourself up and don't create systems where you feel like you have to be working all the time. But I do have the iCloud screen time turned on for all of my devices. And I have had moments where it'll surface, oh, between your computer, phone, iPad, you were on Twitter for 10 hours this week or 12 hours this week. And in the context of what I could accomplish in 12 hours, like I know loosely my output, right? Like, fuck, I could have shipped something in 12 hours, but instead I screwed around on Twitter. So I don't know, maybe that's motivating for some people or demotivating for some people, but Maybe you can just track all of your screen time and be honest with yourself about if you feel like your time is well spent in the apps where you spend your downtime. Or if you get to the end of a week and you realize, oh man, I was 
where did all the time go? Oh, yeah, I spent 20 hours on Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, and Twitter. Maybe that's something that you could pare back. Anyways, I don't know. Not, <laughs> now I'm giving unsolicited advice to maybe a non-problem. But, uh, <laughs> no, no, I think it's good. I like it. Yeah, thanks, Manny, for the, the tweet. Okay, we also have one other tiny bit of follow-up. This one comes from Sid. Uh, Sid tweeted at us. I'm with Marshall Bach on this one. Sure, you can ship fast and often, and you'll quickly learn what you didn't know with feedback, 10 out of 10. But there are some things that only click when you're chasing that last 5%. Someone else can't do that click for you. This is in response to us talking about when we ship our side projects. And, you know, I actually think I agree here, but I don't think our, our takes are mutually exclusive. And I have the most clear example I can think of I, I know I keep talking about staff design, but it's just the most recent thing I worked on. But I was ready to ship staff design. I was ready for it to go out. I had it done. And I showed it to Gabe Valdivia. And he was like, I think you can do better. Mm-hmm. And this was, I don't know, a day or two before I was going to ship. Mm-hmm. And I basically scrapped everything, redesigned it. And I feel like in the last two days, what came out, I squeezed out that last 5% so that when it actually landed on the internet, I felt good about it. And I think for me, that is a lesson that I am perhaps too premature with shipping or too comfortable with an MVP where if I know I can do better or I push myself to do a little bit better and give myself an extra day or two, maybe some, some magic happens in that, you know, to use Sid's word, something clicks. And in this case, something did. But I don't know. There's always tension, right? Like you never know when you're chasing the last 5% or you're just spinning trapped in a rabbit hole of, of details. Yeah. Anyways, I guess you got a point for this one, Marshall. <laughs> hey, I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our main topic. Thanks again for the, the tweet, Sid. Um, let's move on to our main topic. Marshall, we were talking before the show about what's been going on this week. And you started talking about a conversation you've been having with a mentee. And then I asked, Marshall, how do you become a mentor? And what does it look like for you to mentor other people? And this became a whole conversation and ultimately the main topic. So let's talk about things to expect from a mentor for people who are looking for mentors and, you know, from your and my experience of having mentors. And then I thought we could talk a little bit about how to ask for a mentor, like how to actually find one. I've developed some opinions on this over time as a person who also wants people to mentor me and then have had people reach out and like ask very straightforward if I could be a mentor. So let's just dig in. All right. All right. Things to expect from a mentor. What what do design mentors even do? What's the point? Uh-huh. Well, the first thing I think of is like potentially give design feedback. I mean, that's a pretty straightforward <laughs> one. Of like, Yeah, that's the thing, right? Yeah, I have these designs. What do you think? Give me some guidance and feedback on this stuff. But... I feel like that's the least valuable part of mentorship. It's a very, that's the very tactical, detailed part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fun to talk about that stuff, but you can get that feedback from kind of anybody. You don't need that from a mentor. A mentor, I feel, is somebody that you can actually have like a, a deeper, more personal relationship and open up and talk to each other about stuff. And one of those things is like, uh, as a mentor, being someone to rant to and also a shoulder to cry on, basically a a person to vent to. Uh, What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't know that I've ever been a shoulder for someone to cry on in this type of relationship, but the venting part resonates a little bit more. 
think, I don't know, there's a lot of experiences in technology or just in general having a job as an adult that are incredibly frustrating. And we all want somebody to just fucking vent to somebody that doesn't isn't in our reporting chain or someone someone that doesn't have all the context about my company or won't know the people that I'm ranting about. So yeah, that that resonates with me. But if that person does work at the same company as you, like I found one of the things that's super useful is reminding my mentees about like what they should expect of their managers and like what their manager's role is both in their day-to-day jobs as well as what they should be providing in their career and how they should be helping their career trajectory and growth all that stuff because some people have shitty managers right there there are shitty managers out there and if you have one it's easy to get gaslit into thinking this is how it should be or this is how everybody does it this is what everybody has to deal with that's not right. You shouldn't have to deal with that shit. So I found myself... That one seems hard, right? Like I'm imagining myself in a situation where somebody comes to me and says, my manager sucks. And I know that. I know, Maybe I know their manager. How do you give advice in a way that doesn't leave room for that manager's reputation to be redeemable in this person's eyes, right? Like you don't want to be like, oh yeah, that is shitty. They must be a bad manager because then it seems really hard for that person to repair that relationship on their own. But you also don't want to lie to them and be like, no, it must be a misunderstanding. You know, overly bend towards the benefit of the doubt. How do you navigate that? Yeah, I I kind of split the difference, which is <laughs> give them the benefit yeah. of the doubt. Maybe they're having a bad day. Everybody has a bad day. Yeah. You know, if, if this is a pattern, then there's a series of ways to deal with that, like bringing up with them first specifically and saying exactly what you were hoping to have happen. If that doesn't produce any results, then there's an escalation chain that you could go into. But like assume that they had a bad day and, and give them the benefit of the doubt. And when you do talk to them, be diplomatic as fuck. Um, <laughs> don't give them any reason to say, well, you were being a jerk, you know, so mm-hmm. we're getting a little bit too much into the details here. But yes, another great thing you can ask for in these types of conversations is feedback on how to grow your own career. So like that's something you should be getting from your manager, but you can also get extra advice from a mentor as far as like, ways to write your promotion packet or the steps that you should take leading up to getting a promotion or working to the next level in your career, offering advice on switching roles or even switching companies. Does this ring true for you? Yeah. This is this is where I spend most of my time talking to my mentors. Is like, does this path make sense? Does this feel loosely correct from your point of view about like what my responsibilities are and what I'm doing day to day relative to my level? That kind of stuff. Like, I feel like uh, it's always useful to hear from people that are further ahead than me. It's like, did you go through this period where you were kind of a PM and also kind of designing? You felt overwhelmed by meetings. Like, is this normal or am I just totally lost? And they're like, maybe they'll resonate with certain parts and, and be either reassuring or give me some advice to get out of a sticky situation as it relates to like what I'm doing with my career, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think this is the most useful part for me. At least this is what I seek the most. Yeah. If you're going through something, they've probably gone through something similar and that advice may not be perfect because no two situations are exactly the same. What do you think about this? When I, when I think about writing blog posts or just sharing advice online in general, maybe tweeting, it's really impossible to write something that is applicable to everyone, right? Like you're not going to write advice that everyone will, will resonate with because there's just people who will read it that are much further ahead than you or maybe even just at the beginning of their career where the advice won't make any sense at all. 
So the way I think about it is if I'm writing, it's like, what's something that I wish I could have read a year ago or maybe two years ago, right? Like myself, but one step prior to where I am right now. And I feel similarly with seeking mentorship. Like I think sometimes it's nice to talk to people that are a long ways ahead, but I get the most tactical advice out of people who are one level above me, which is, you know, one, two, three years further ahead. Because anywhere beyond that, it's like I'm trying to skip too many steps or I'm getting advice that's missing too much context about all the work that that person's done to get two levels ahead or three levels ahead, whatever it might be on whichever skill I'm looking for advice on. Do you feel similarly that it's most useful to sort of have a, a band, like a range where mentorship is useful and then maybe that just evolves over time, right? Like as you grow, you find new mentors who are at the next most appropriate level. Yeah. Well, hopefully you're both growing. So they're always three, four years ahead of you. you know? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise you picked a bad mentor. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think if you do pick somebody who is much further along than you are, make sure you find somebody who remembers what it was like to be where you are. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because I, you know, I'm, I've been doing this for a while, but man, I still remember like it was yesterday, my first day, not even my first day at Google, like my first day at my first job of like just being the new kid and not understanding anything and like getting back into that mind frame and empathizing with that is not necessarily universal. So if you do find somebody who's relatively far ahead of you, make sure that they can reconnect with their earlier years and empathize. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, as long as the person can remember, I guess, I don't know, maybe just to paint a different lens on this, it's like if you are starting a business and you have 10 employees, it doesn't seem useful to have a mentor who's like the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's tiny bits and pieces, but their experience, even though they are better than you and further ahead than you, their advice, it doesn't seem like it's going to be that useful. But if you're running a 10-person company and you're getting advice from somebody who's running a 50-person company or a 100-person company, right? Like somehow that feels so much more practical and that person will be much closer to the mind frame of, or the, the headspace of what it's like to have 10 employees, right? So all, all saying the same thing, but I guess maybe that's what I think about. Like I'm looking for someone who's in the right zone where they'll actually even be capable of remembering. Totally. What about this? What about giving career advice? Like when people ask you for career advice, do you get nervous giving that? Afraid you're going to tell somebody something, give them bad advice, or maybe something that was too specific to your particular experience? How do you navigate that? Yeah, man, I just caveat the hell out of it and and make sure that I provide <laughs> uh -huh. perfect context. Like I said earlier, no, no two situations are the same. <laughs> That's I always lead with that of like, this is how it worked for me. I am not you. This is a different year, a different time, different people, different situation. But here's the full context of it. And here is how I thought about that context. Here's how I acted on that context. And here is the outcome of that action. Usually there are some nuggets to pull from that, even if the whole thing doesn't apply. Yeah, I, I find that the caveating the hell out of it just is not fun. Or, or it like it dilutes the point so much. Although if I flip this, here's one thing that I found helpful. Like when I ask one of my mentors for advice, I don't need them to caveat it with, oh, but this was my specific experience at that particular point in time. Because if I'm asking for them advice, I might also be asking multiple people for advice. And then I'm going to be doing my own sort of critical thinking and forming my own conclusion about what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once you realize, oh, I do that myself, I bet other people who are asking me questions also do that themselves. 
then maybe it's like, oh, maybe I should just trust that somebody asking me a question is a smart person who's going to think independently and consider my point of view one data point yes. among many. And it's not like I'm handing down the truth from uh-huh. on high. Gospel. I will tell people what I think, what I've experienced, and they can add that to their library and form their own conclusions. One possible conclusion could be, of course, to just ignore everything that I've said because it doesn't feel relevant to their particular situation, uh-huh. which is fine, right? Yep. That's the thing I say pretty often, too. Like, feel free to ignore everything I'm about to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, well, how about let's flip it? So you've had mentors in your time. I've had mentors in my time. How have you gone about getting a mentor? Like, what are some tips and tricks for actually getting someone to help you grow and learn over time? Well, uh, specifically at Google, we have a formal program for this. Basically, it's a platform for people to sign up and say, hey, I want to be a mentor. Here's the things I'm good at and I feel comfortable mentoring others on. And then people who want to find a mentor can go on there and search for the things they're looking for mentorship on and connect. And then there's like an official connection. And there's no real follow-up on that. Like it's up to mentee and mentor to come up with a meeting schedule and how often they want to connect and what they want to talk about, all that stuff. But it is a great way to find people if you do work at Google. Now, if you don't work at Google, <laughs> um, a really great way to find a mentor is just look around at who you're asking questions to. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And if you find somebody giving you a lot of good answers, uh, maybe that's a hint that they should be your mentor or uh, a good indication that you should formalize that relationship in a way. Well, that- here's one thing that I get stuck on is I feel like the word mentor and, and mentee, like framing that as a relationship title, it sounds like, I don't know, parent, child, girlfriend, boyfriend, like it is this formal relationship. But I feel like mentorship can be much more informal. It's literally like, is this a person who I can ask questions and they give advice? And for me, at least in my experience, trying to formalize that by asking questions like, will you be my mentor? <laughs> Won't it puts you be? a lot of pressure on the person who's receiving that question, right? Like it's committing to a relationship with someone that you might not know much about, especially since most of this at least in our context, is happening online or on Twitter. Or maybe for me, I don't know, maybe most of your work happens at Google with coworkers. But for me, it's always Twitter. And it's like, fuck, I don't... Will I be your mentor? I don't know. That sounds like a lot. But if you have a question, I would love to try and help you answer that question. So I don't know. I I think I don't like the formal approach to this. That's fair. I, I mean, one thing here that is useful for me is just always be considerate of the other person's time and try to meet them in their medium of choice. Sometimes it's fun to like go out and do coffee meetings or I guess in this era, Zoom calls. And I've been doing quite a lot of those and they're fine. But I, I find more and more I'm asking people to just move questions to like an async medium. So DM me on Twitter or send me an email or something that removes the pressure from my calendar. Uh I don't know, maybe everybody just reacts differently to this, Marshall, but I actually get really stressed when I see a full calendar. Mm -hmm. I need lots of big breaks to get work done and feel like I have control over my life. And so as soon as that starts to fill up with, can I pick your brain over Zoom? That starts to stress me out a little bit. So I try and keep that to like an hour or two a week of those kinds of calls. And then everything else, it's like, let's just talk on Twitter and email and it'll happen over the next few days. But it just doesn't have to be synchronous. I don't know. In the case that you're asking somebody else for their time, I feel like it's just fair and reasonable to meet them in their their medium of choice. Yeah, yeah. Beggars and choosers and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing that 
came to mind, actually two things that came to mind about asking for or finding a mentor. A lot of times I, I will receive a message that says something like, hey, can I ask you a question? And then I have to respond, yes. Sure. <laughs> and then they, someone will ask a question. My advice is to just ask questions. Mm-hmm. And you might not always get a response. Here's a little insight, Brian. Uh, they already asked a question by asking if they could ask a question. Why not uh-huh. just do it? Yeah. Why not just do it? Yeah. Uh, I have asked many cold, sent many cold DMs asking questions and didn't get replies. But I think more times than not, by just being upfront with the question, especially if you frame the question well, it needs to be concise. It should be answerable in a reasonable amount of time. It should be clearly specific to that person and their background and their expertise. I feel like most people are going to respond to those kinds of questions or messages or emails, whatever it might be. But then my last point here is I think it's 100% fine to follow up with people who don't respond. I don't know. Some people might react poorly if, if you follow up and be like, hey, I didn't hear back from you. Maybe it's a little bit of framing and there should probably be like at least a day or two. I don't think you want to follow up an hour later, maybe not even a day later, but like a few days. I think it's appropriate to follow up with someone who you're trying to get help from. At least in my case, I quite often appreciate the nudge. How do you feel about following up on asking for help? Yeah. Assume it's not a, a coworker this time. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that you put it out there and you hope they reply. If they don't, eh. if you hit them up again, worst thing that could happen is they just don't reply again. You know? Yeah. And yeah. maybe they didn't see it. Maybe they got buried in a bunch of other emails or mm-hmm. DMs or mentions, or maybe mm-hmm. they saw it and they didn't want to reply. Whatever. Find another person. That wasn't the right mentor for you. There you go. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, hopefully something in here was was useful for folks out there. Tweet at us. Let us know if you have other tips, maybe on either side of the equation, having been a mentor or, or finding mentors. Maybe we can do some follow-up next week. Cool. Cool things. Cool things. I think you're first this week. All right. Uh, Brian, I think we should just turn this into Marshall's Book of the Week, basically. Uh-huh. For my uh, Marshall's Book Corner, uh, <laughs> Story Time with Marshall. Yeah, we can give this a good segment name. Yeah, what would it be? It'd be like, um, I, I, I'm, I'm two-thirds of the way there. Box, book, something that starts with a B. Box. Bonanza. How about that? Your book box. Maybe I'll do it every other week and we'll make it box by weekly books. <laughs> Anyways, all right, so... <laughs> or, or or we could start recording two episodes a week, and it could be box bi-weekly books. Oh, yeah, yeah, because it could be either. Mm. As soon as I said bi-weekly, I, I knew I was fucked. Huge mistake. You've yeah. overcommitted. <laughs> I've made a huge mistake. All right, so my book of the week. This week, I am recommending a book called 14 by an author that should be familiar to you named... Peter Kleins, I recommended his mm-hmm. book called The Fold that I mentioned a couple weeks ago. It also contains another book that I'm currently reading right now called Terminus. There's another book in there that, that's kind of loosely related called Paradox Bound that's also really good. Anyways, this book, 14, is kind of like sets up like a horror style type of book. It's like a creepy building type of a story, right? But then it eventually turns into more of a sci-fi thing. And it's in the same universe as uh, The Fold. So if you read that and liked that, or you thought that was interesting. This is right there. There's an apartment in this apartment building, uh, number 14, that has a bunch of padlocks on it. And this guy moves in, and there's all these weird happenings, and then it gets crazier and crazier, and then goes buck wild at the end. So, uh, mm-hmm. 14 by Peter Kleins, highly recommended, I think. Do you have to read these in order? No. Uh, each book is its own story with separate characters. I would read 14 before you read Terminus. 
because there's a main character from 14 that shows up in Terminus. Okay. But otherwise, they're, they're separate protagonists for each story. All right. My backlog uh, grows yet again. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. it gets larger. I did start Infinite this week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have some good uh, time on the plane to really dig in. Excellent, yeah. Okay. My cool thing this week. Marshall, iOS 15 is out. It is. You've been on the beta for a long time, so you're you're living in that world. Yeah, I think I've been on since like beta 2 or 3 or something. I've, I've been in this mm-hmm. world for a while. But welcome welcome to the world of 15, Brian. It's wonderful over here. Yeah. And one of the cool things about iOS 15 is uh, we get Safari extensions on iOS. Mm. And so, Marshall, you know Apollo. I do. The Reddit application, our favorite. Yeah, yeah I love Apollo. The developer of that, Christian Selig, made two Safari extensions and published them today on the App Store. The first one is called Amplosion, and the second one is called Achu, like a sneeze. And they both have lovely app icons by Matthew Skiles. Um, so Amplosion is a way to automatically redirect from an AMP page, an AMP page. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. It's like Google's instant pages. Uh, it'll redirect from that to the source article. So if you want to just get to the website, uh, it'll automatically do that. And then the second one, Achu, this one is really cool. I haven't played with it a whole lot, but... You can inspect elements on mobile Safari. So you can do the extension Achu, Achu, Achu. God, I don't know how to pronounce it. Achu. Achu. Yeah. Achu. Because you're high. <laughs> I, need to, I need to sneeze. And you can view the HTML of a screen. And I think that's very, very neat. Cool. Yeah. Inspect on the phone. That's nuts. Uh, so those are both paid apps. I think one of them's $1, one of them's $2 on the App Store. Yeah, a chew is one dollar and amplosion is one ninety nine. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so that's my cool thing. Instant buy for me, easy purchase. I like Christian software. I'm happy to support this stuff. Yeah, easy developer to support. Cool thing, Brian. All right. Well, that's it. This has been episode four hundred and thirteen of the Design Details Podcast. If you enjoyed it, let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. If you did enjoy it and want to support us and uh, get access to some bonus content this week, head on over to patreon.com slash design details for supporters get access to a bonus segment every week called the sidebar 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 this week's sidebar we're talking all about obsessive personalities and finding the balance of being obsessive about the details and not spending too much time on the unimportant details so if you want to hear us talk about all that head over to patreon.com slash design details you get this week's sidebar as well as uh, those double episodes going forward so thank you everyone who joined the fam this week we'll catch you in the sidebar and to everyone else we'll catch you next week bye looking for someone who's in the right zone where they'll actually even be capable of remembering totally yeah this is why i don't get along with kids because i don't remember what it was like to be like a young child (laughs) a five-year-old asks you for advice you say (laughs) fuck off kid i have no advice for you young child i can't remember what it's like being five be gone (laughs) yeah yeah no seriously i remember being a kid even and and thinking (laughs) when i get older i'm not gonna forget what it's like to be a kid well turns out i did But at least I remembered thinking I didn't want to forget. So that's good, right? Yeah, there's like a a meta point in there somewhere.